Yeah, so Holy Spirit, I ask this morning, would you just come and um, would you point us to Jesus? Would you, like we started in worship this morning, would you open the eyes of our heart? I pray that even as we read your word, as we, as we look at you in scripture this morning, Jesus, that we would, we would see you and we would see ourselves and we would, yeah, we would just find ourselves in awe and that we would look and live. In your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. It is so good to see everybody. We were, um, my wife, my family and myself, we were sport enough. We've had two weeks leave, so I am feeling quite refreshed about life again. And um, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that, Sid. Um, yeah, we just, I'm really excited and really just, um, even while we're away, it, it's, it's great to get away and to rest. And actually, but I said to my wife, it's so funny, two weeks of being away and resting and, I, and out of routine and out of relationship and I already start to feel like, uh-oh, I can feel all of a sudden I start to get super selfish. I start to, my world becomes super self-centered. It's incredible. The, uh, two weeks of leave and I'm already, so those who take a month off, I don't know how you do it. Um, yeah, so this morning uh, I, want to, I wanted to share a bit of an origin story with us. Um, uh, the title of my message this morning is called Look and Live. And um, I, want to, I want to take this symbol. Uh, Zarina, I wonder if you could put it up. And I want to tell you about the original origin of where this sign actually comes from. And who recognizes this? Who has seen this before in your life? You, if you have, you've probably suffered a near-death experience. This is the global international sign for medical care and emergency. And it is known all over the world, and if you Google it, if you Wikipedia it, it'll tell you that the origin of this symbol in the middle is through Greek mythology, and it is um, that rod in the middle with the stake is called the Staff of Esepules. Um, but I actually want to tell you where they, they even took that, and I'll show you where. They even, the Greek mythology, they took this as their symbol from um, Hebrew idol worship, actually. And how the Jews, the Israelites, they were the first ones to worship this as a false idol. And before they worshipped it as a false idol, there's an incredible story of Jesus in this symbol. And in the same way as it is for emergency medical care, if, you're a, if, if it is a life or death situation, this is the symbol that saved people. In the same way today, if you find yourself in a spiritual crisis, there is a picture of Jesus where if you look to him, he can save you. And so in 2 Kings 18.4 um, is where it started to get warped. And so you and then I'm, I'm going to give you the full story. But, um, and there's this king called Hezekiah, and he's a good king. And what he does, it says, he removed the pagan shrines, he smashed the sacred pillars, and he cut down the Asherah poles. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had begun offering sacrifices to it. And so what happened was, there's this incredible story that we'll talk about this morning, and by default, what we always do is we always mess up good things. That's just human nature. It's what we're good at. We're good at messing up good things. And um, they actually worship something that they weren't meant to worship. Um, 
Cool. And so before I even go into this amazing story, it's for me, the timing of it is so special because we are coming to Easter weekend. We are coming to a weekend, and if your children are in this meeting and you're sensitive about this with them, I'm sorry, but I am begging you to shoot the Easter bunny. I am begging you that this weekend coming, chocolate egg-laying bunnies would not be the focus. But the Son of Man who died on the cross and He gave His life so that every single one of us, if we look and we see, we could live. And it's so funny because so often with parents, we can be so sensitive about our child's bubbles. We don't want to pop, please, whatever you do, my children are the worst. Whenever we get together with my brother and his family, um, they celebrate all of like all of those things that we don't, and they always give us this warning because Misha has the tact of a flying brick. And so what happens is whenever we get together, the first thing we'll do, if we get together on Christmas, Misha will look and be like, Father, Christmas isn't real, right off the bat. And they're like, please don't let Misha blow, break our children's bubbles. She's like, but why would you want to believe a lie if it's not true? Why would you want that? So she does the same with the Easter bunny. <laughs> I grew up in my household. My dad would always say, uh, we do believe in the Easter Bunny, and we're going to bry him on the Christmas tree. Um, so maybe, I hope I'm not being insensitive. But I, I do want to be insensitive to the rubbish, and I want to be sensitive to the, the most important thing. Because so many in our culture, so many families are getting ready to spend money and celebrate the importance of an egg-laying bunny. When at the bottom of the story, there is a Savior who, who can save you in your most desperate need, and He wants to meet with you today. And He wants to meet with me. And even if you know Jesus, every time we look and we see Him, He can come and He can heal and He can cure and He can take away your sin and your shame. See, tradition is the way that we pass things down. So if your family, if you're, and it's an important thing to remember, don't get swept up in just going with the harp. We have to be conscious of these things. Weekends like Easter, what we celebrate and how we celebrate is what we're going to pass down to our children, and they will pass it down to their children. And so we have an opportunity to instill this incredible message of the gospel into our families, and they will pass it down to their children and their children, the same as the Easter Bunny did. And this story that I want to share this morning is the most important story that you can pass down to your children, to pass down to their children, to pass down to their children. And so let's look at this story. It's in Numbers 21 verse 4. And then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Disclaimer, these were slave people that in their hardship cried out to God to rescue them, to save us. Would you free us from Pharaoh? Would you take us out of Egypt? And so they come out of Egypt into the desert, which is 
so often relatable to our lives. You never go out of Egypt, the most difficult time, into paradise. You go into the desert. Whenever you come out of addiction, out of bondage, out of slavery, you don't come out of slavery and into paradise. You go into a desert, a difficult time. And we see this with Israel. You ask anybody who's found freedom in their life, and they'll tell you, freedom was not this glorious little, okay, I make a decision and then I'm in paradise. No, there's a 40-year desert. And so for so many of us, there is this, it's a, it's a massive stage of life, finding freedom. And so what happens is half, more than half, they actually say, but a lot of the people that were led out of Egypt, out of Pharaoh, out of slavery, are dead already. And so this is their offspring. <laughs> and do you know why the people who left Egypt didn't go into the promised land? Grumbling and complaining and moaning. And what are their offspring doing? What have they passed down? And so the people are speaking against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the desert? They complained. Not they explained. They complained. I think that's a default that all of us fall so quickly into in hardship. The first thing we do is we find something to complain about. There is nothing to eat. There's nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manner. The flip side is that manna was given because they were, they were starving to death in the desert. And, and then the very thing that gave them sustenance is the thing that they now hate. I hate God's provision. And we've spoken about this many times before, and I will continue to preach about it is because we live in a culture, and it's not just right now, it's always been that once more. Tired of what I had, I want better. I want more. I don't want quails now, I want cows to fall from the sky. It'd probably be more dangerous. I can imagine. And then the, the Bible would say, and then the Israelites were wiped out by falling cows. That would be a great story. So they're complaining and they're screaming and shouting. And then God is going to do something that is going to make you go, what? So the Lord, so the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people. And many were bitten and died. And the people came to Moses and cried out, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people and the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake, like that image we saw, and fix it to a pole. And all who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. And then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. It's a good story. If I'm engaging with her, then I'm winning. Then I know I have all of your attention. And so there, this is the picture of what happens. And so Moses puts this pole up with a snake on it, and anybody is bitten. You don't have to crawl towards it. You don't have to touch it. You don't have to make your way towards it. 
All you have to do is the thing that you are terrified most of, the thing that is killing you, the poison that wants to rob and steal and kill and destroy. All you have to do is look that thing in the face because that's what the snake represented. I mean, it would have made sense if he said, put a bunny on a pole. And all who look at this fluffy, loving creature will be saved. But no, the Lord tells Moses, the very thing that is killing them, if they want freedom, they have to look at the very thing that is killing them, and then they will find freedom. Then they will be healed. So this is in John 3 verse 14 says this, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. And in the same way that the snake represented everything that was killing them, Jesus and He, what did He do? What did He take on the cross? We look at everything that we fear and dread most. You will see that on Jesus on the cross. You will see somebody who was rejected by people. You will see somebody who was innocent and murdered. You'll see somebody whose best friend betrayed him to death. That those closest to him abandoned him. That his family said he's crazy. That he died in the prime of his life. All the things we fear most. You look at Jesus on the cross and you see all of those things. And when you look at them, and you believe and you see, then in the same way as people were healed when they saw the snake, you can also be healed and saved and set free. When we, when you see Jesus coming into this weekend, it is a, I encourage you, I, I appeal to you to don't let it go by like any other long weekend. There is something significant that we celebrate over this weekend. That actually, it's the fact that when we see Jesus on the cross, what do you see? Because we should see somebody who took everything that we are most afraid of upon himself, including when he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Separation from God. Isaiah 45 verse 22 says this, let all the world look to me for salvation. For I am God and there is no other. And the, the one response is that we have to look to the cross and we have to look to Jesus. And, and I want to re-emphasize this point of the sin that you are stuck in because there are so many of us that are stuck in sin, in our daily walk, in our temper, in our personality, in our attitudes, in our acting out, in our, in our desires of our hearts, in our lust of our hearts, in our mind. All of that stuff. It, it takes looking and having faith and believing that what Jesus has done on the cross was for me. And that because of that, I can be 
forgiven. I can be washed white as snow. That, that prophetic word that came about the river, the rushing waters that cleanse us. But that doesn't happen when we sing songs. That happens when we have faith. So I want to ask you the question, what does it look like to have faith that you have been forgiven? What does it change? Because the scripture would say, you say you have faith without works. I will show you my faith by my works. I will show you what I believe to be true because of what I've seen by the way that I live. And so the one thing is to, to look at the cross and to say, Jesus, you've paid it all. I, I need your repentance. I need your forgiveness. I'm stuck. Can you save me? And the other one is to live like it. Faith in God is not going, I've got faith in, I've got faith in God. Okay, what does that look like in your life? Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I look exactly the same as everybody else. You know, it, it, it's amazing. Sorry, there's another scripture that I didn't, I didn't give to you. It says, even the demons believe in God. They actually do one better. They don't only believe in him. They at least shudder because they know who he is. But we can so flippantly be like, I am a Christian. There's a, a, a famous philosopher, Jung, and he said, and he was, a, he was a massive critic of Christianity, but they also say he was a great friend of Christianity because he said, in his opinion, there was only ever one Christian, and he died on the cross. And he was saying, so often his observation of the church and those who call themselves believers, they look nothing like Jesus. And my... my what I want to share with you this morning is the first thing is step one of this whole process is look. When we come together to worship, it's not just to sing songs about what we like. It's to worship Jesus. It's to look at what he took on himself for our sake. It doesn't matter what your life circumstance says about you. It doesn't matter what the people around you say. There is the creator of the universe who loves you passionately that he was willing to do something about it. That in the mess of your life, he loves you. That it says after John 3 verse 14 and 15... It says, John 3, 16, for he loved the world so much in the same way that there was this staff on a, on a, snake on a staff that went up. In the same way, he put his son on a cross that everyone who believes in him doesn't have to die eternally, but can have eternal life. So the first thing is look, but the second is Live. Live as those who have been saved. Live as those who have been forgiven. Live as those who have had the world, the weight of the world, the sting of death. Uh, there is, can I tell you what? I fully understand why the world is filled with depression. I get it. 
I fully understand why the world is tearing itself to pieces and why there's absolute chaos and why it's heavy and sad and tragic. I fully agree with it. Because if you don't have Jesus, you don't have hope. There is no hope. If this life is all that there is, there is no hope. Disclaimer, despite how you feel today, nobody gets out of this alive. Sorry if that's a spoiler alert. Everybody here dies. That's the movie ending. You're heavy, Dan. Shot. You go and leave and you come back with this. And so I can understand when we see overwhelming sadness and sorrow in the world. But for you and I, it is different. Because we have a hope. We have an assurance. We have a future that goes beyond however many, what would we say, 80 years, 85, 90, 95. 95? That's a good innings. Nick's like, no, not for me. <laughs> 90. We have a hope that goes further than 90 years, which means we have a reason to live very different. If 90 years and then it's your kids is what you leave behind, I can understand why you live your life, life storing up all that you have to maybe give to them to try and make their suffering less. I get that. I understand the love for our children that drives us to want to provide for them and take care of them. I get that. But when you've been given a hope that can give them eternal life, when accruing more stuff, it can go like this. I was chatting to someone this last week who by the world standard has had it all. And he was telling me how it can go like this. All the right investments, all the right plans, all the right offshore accounts, all the right policies, all the right stuff, all the right assets, all the right places to put all the right stuff and you can lose it like that. And so I'm not saying you don't have any of that. I'm saying you don't live like that's where your hope is. You live like your hope is in that picture of the snake on the pole or the, or the Savior on the cross. You live like that is my lifeline. Because we will lose a lot of everything else. You will, another disclaimer, bad story, sorry. You will lose money in this life. You will lose property. You will lose cars and nice things. You will, you will suffer loss. It is a part of this world. You will lose you won't be a winner at the end. <laughs> the world's winners go out in suicide often. But church, we have a reason to live very differently. We have a reason why we can carry ourselves so differently in our workplaces and in our jobs and with our friends and where we go out and when we come together and when we worship and when we, we have stuff that we celebrate that cannot get taken away. That's what I said. It was in the early days of when the Christians were persecuted and murdered, it was, the, it was the most confusing thing for the executioners because they put joyful people to death. People celebrated on their way to the galley. It's literally, you, you go read Fox's Book of Martyrs. 
People worshiping on their way out of this world because this is so temporary and everybody loses in it. Everyone's like, I want to go on two weeks leave as well. So now I also have that attitude, but I'm, school holidays started on Friday. I'm still getting my leave. Something better than leave. And it's this, it's this hope that we have in our life. That when and you will, we suffer loss. You might go like, oh. But actually, I can realign myself. Because that sucked that I lost that. But in actual fact, I didn't lose that. And I can't lose that. And that can't get taken from me. The only thing I could do is to stop looking and stop living. That's the only thing that can happen for me. Landing. Everyone's like, hey, Dan's back. We don't preach for very long. I'm just joking, Nick. When we look at what Jesus has done and we start to live out what we believe, that is what it means to say, I live by faith. So often we use the I live by faith thing when we have no idea what's going on. That's what we tend to do. We go like, I don't have a job, but I'm going to live by faith. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to live by faith. No. Living by faith is knowing what's going to happen. Living by faith is knowing that no matter what happens to me, I'm actually okay. I'm actually, that I might, I might go out with nothing, but I still have everything. It's why the Bible, the, the Bible is, and guys, it's, I was listening to this thing while I was on leave. It's talking about how science has gotten to the point, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Maybe I'm a little. Where science is starting to pick itself apart. Where it's actually coming to that point where science is now disproving science all the time so that now everything that you learned 50 years ago is no longer true. Actually, no, we were wrong then. The new data has proved that the old was wrong. So now we've got new data. And do you know what's going to happen in 50 years? All this stuff, it's like, it's like who remembers that butter was going to kill everybody? We were going to die not by the Black Plague, not by covid not by, we were all going to die because we ate butter. And so then they released margarine. And it had a, a little heart logo on the tub. And if you ate margarine, you, were, you weren't going to die anymore. It was like a magic potion that we all took. Now you have that sif margarine, that stuff that comes out black, actually. And then they color it to look like butter. Then all of a sudden, hey, if you eat margarine, you're going to die. And now everybody who's trying to save themselves from not eating butter and eating margarine, now you're all in trouble because now you're all going to die. Now everybody has to go back. The science continually contradicts itself all the time. But the Word of God, the fundamental truth, the oldest transcripts of any written history that mankind has, and this is fact, the fundamental truth has never changed. It remains the same, and it will remain the same. That's why Jesus came and he said this to his disciples. I am the way. Him on the cross, I am the way. The way that I live, I want you to follow. This is the way that you live. That's why he taught. The kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like this. It's like this. This is the way that we live. I am the truth. 
everything else that all the, all the because Jesus taught against what they believed in the day to be the science. I am the truth. Everything I say is the truth. And I am the life. And so this morning, that, that is what this coming weekend is about. That actually, even since I've been looking at this, every time I see that little symbol everywhere, that little emergency medical, I, I see the snake on the pole, I see Jesus on the cross. I remember in my greatest medical emergency, my spiritual medical emergency, Jesus came through for me. Jesus will come through for you. It doesn't matter what state your life is in this morning. You can be in a spiritual emergency. You can be in an emotional emergency. You can be in the depths of depression. And I'm telling you right now, there is a little logo. There is a stamp. There is a sign. There is a Savior who is on a cross who can save you in your greatest moment of need. All you have to do is look. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is live. Can I pray with us? I wonder if we can bow our heads. I want to ask up front this morning if maybe if there's somebody here this morning who feels like I haven't, I haven't served Jesus. I haven't looked. I haven't, I haven't believed. I'm not a Christian. I, I don't even know what you're talking about about this stuff, but I want to follow Jesus. I want to, I want to, I want to be saved. I'm in need of a Savior. I need Him to save me. Maybe your situation or your circumstance in your life is out of control. Or, but you'll know because it's like you'll have this, your heart beating in your chest. You'll be like, I don't know why I want to respond. But if that's you this morning, I would love to extend the, the invite to you. I would love to give you the opportunity. To, I'd love to introduce you to Jesus. Because even though He died on the cross, He died and then He rose again. So I'd love to introduce you. So if there's anyone, just first and foremost, there's a few things that I wanted to do. But if there's anyone like that, I wonder while everyone's head is bowed, could you lift your hand? I'd love to pray with you this morning. If you want that eternal security, if you want that eternal relationship with God, your Creator, if that's you this morning, I wonder if you can lift your hand. The second thing I wanted to there's three, just a disclaimer, so you know what's coming. The second thing is I feel like for so many of us, and, and so with no one responding, I'm going to assume that we're believers this morning. If you're not, I'm begging you, you need to give your life to Jesus. I'm begging you that you are in a spiritual crisis and you are in trouble. You need Jesus. Please don't leave today without Him. Please don't miss the invite. The only difference between you and me is that I've realized that I am in desperate need of saving. If you're bitten by the snake, but you don't look, you can't be saved. I am begging you. If you do not know him this morning, please give your life to Jesus. Secondly, I wanted to make an appeal for us who know him. We love him. We serve him. We call ourselves Christians on the daily. But we, we, we stop looking 
We stop, we lose our sense of wonder and worship. We, we lose our sense of, in our life, we look to everything else. We look at the world around us. We, we look at stuff. We, our priority shifts. And the one after that is living. For those of us who, we even look and we know, but we're not living how Jesus has showed us to live. How we modeled, this is the way to forgive others, to love others, to serve others, to lay down your life for others. If you feel like any of those two things apply to you and you're a believer this morning, I'd love you to stand with me. I would love to pray with you this morning. I'd love Jesus to come and open our eyes and show us again. I'd love to respond to Him. I'm standing this morning, I'm saying, Jesus, I want you front and center of my life again. I want you front and center. Jesus, the way that I live is not the way that I know I need to live out. I want to live rightly. Maybe there's sin that you need to repent of. Maybe there's, but you know, if that's you, respond this morning. Because it's like Julia said in worship, the reason he got off the throne was because he desperately loves you. I want to tell you this morning, if you can leave here with one thing, is that the Lord desperately loves you. He loves you more than anybody else you know loves you. He loves you more than anyone else. And so we're going to respond in worship. And I want to encourage you, if it's, if it's looking towards Him and it's not living like you should, I want to encourage you this morning, start. Start with just repentance. Start with saying, God, I'm sorry. Because the Bible says He's gracious and merciful. He gives forgiveness when we ask for it. If you don't ask for it, He's not going to give it. You just have to say, God, I'm sorry. Could you forgive me? I want to do it differently. And like that, He washes over your sin. He cleans you. He separates it from you. It's like you never did it. It is too good to be true. And so we're going to respond in this song together. And so, Father, I pray for those who are responding and standing right now. Lord Jesus, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us where we've not seen rightly? Would you forgive us where we're not living rightly? Where we're not, we're not living the way that we want to do it? We know, we know that there's more for us. Would you bring your, your grace and mercy today? I pray that no one would leave here as those without hope. But every single one of us have hope this morning. So as we respond to you this morning in worship, we say, God, we want to we wanna give you our hearts and our affections and our attention. And we want you to be front and center in our life. So we're going to worship with this song. And, uh, I actually can't repent on your behalf. I can pray as repentance, but as we worship, I want you to just bring your own heart before Jesus and ask Him to bring an adjustment.